Beto O'Rourke. That'd be cool. He and would not win. He pot smoking. Robot choking. <laughs> and maniac. <laughs> Tofu pusher. Wait, wait, wait. Smoking Kusher. Uh, I've had some of the ganjir. (laughs) I, Beto O'Rourke, you might want to call me Weedo Toke Work. (laughs) (laughs) Why would he want... (laughs) I could have just played on one of my syllables. credits two men are walking when one suddenly stumbles man number two says that was a nasty fall are you all right man number one says oh no i'm just looking for something i lost man number two says what did you lose and man number one says my balance And welcome back to Zero Credits, the show where we talk about things. My name is Henry. And as ever, John. And together we're Henry and John tackling the cultural happenings of the zeitgeist. And this, our most thankful time of year, the week after Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, as you know, has been co-opted by commercialism. Big turkey, big gravy... Big Grandma. Big Cranberry Sauce, which then extends into the next holiday as well. Yeah, Cranberry Sauce really has got a stranglehold on the whole season. Cornering the market of November and December tables. We're on to you, Big Cranberry. You will not go unchecked. And the whole berry kind is the best kind. Uh, the no, no, people really like the kind that takes the shape of the can. Oh, yeah, that's gross. I've heard something like they like when it's cut along the line. I don't know what this means. I've never had cranberry sauce. Never in your life? Never in my life. It's often been present on tables. Wait, how have you never eaten cranberry sauce? Never been an appealing thing for me to put in my mouth. But it's there. You have to have wanted to try it. No, I've never wanted to try it. You want to know why? Why? It reminds me of beets. Do you not like beets? I've never had beets. Well, how can something that reminds you of something else... How? I just assume beets are bad. Well, you, surely you eat some things that other people connote as bad, like broccoli. I have been known to eat broccoli, but not by choice, only by because someone else prepared it, and it would be rude to say, I don't eat small trees. Cauliflower. I. That's the same thing as broccoli, but a ghost version. Peas. Do not like peas. Neither do I. Gross. Mushy. I don't like it. Why would you eat a mushy? I like them blended up. Like in a smoothie? Yeah. I don't understand. I used to grind up uh, frozen vegetables into smoothies. What, like a V8? Not like a V8. I would uh, I would put whole milk and protein powder and like frozen broccoli and shit in. And because it's frozen, it has no taste. And also, I hated eating vegetables at the time. So that way, a good tasty way to get in all your veggies. And I think, unlike fruit, you don't lose anything by blending it. I don't think, I don't think so. 
And fruit. You get all that fiber. With fruit, you you lose the skin. So you lose the fiber. You the just fu- get the sugar. Yeah, but the skin's still in there in the blender. I'm thinking of juice. Yeah, juicing shit is expensive and ridiculous. And you don't get much juice. I'm anti-juicing. All right, well, good to know. So this is the most thankful of seasons. You've gotten past the hurdle that is your weirdly political family. You've gotten past all the snide remarks about when you're going to get married. When are you going to have kids? Aren't you da- still dating that one little person? You live together, you're living in sin, son. What the fuck is wrong with you? You've gotten past all that, and now you're into the home stretch of why are you thankful this year? Now that all the things are out of the way that you have no reason to be thankful for, it has opened the gates into the land of thankfulness. It's like God said when he made people, you can't choose your family, but you can choose what you're thankful for. And that's what we're going to do in this little segment we like to call Thanks. That's right. The uh, the long-standing, uh, how long has this show been going? Three years? Like two years? Two, two to three years. The two to three-year-old tradition of Thanks. I feel like we gave this another name in a podcast episode long past. I, f- I want to say Fucksgiving? Who can remember something that happened a year ago? I want to say we called it Fucksgiving and we... We give fucks, like, you know, we give a fuck. Oh, like people don't give a fuck? Yeah, but, but we, we choose do. to give a fuck. Okay. And we called it something like spicy. <laughs> spicy fucksgiving. Spicy fucksgiving to get people interested in our <laughs> holidays that we make up. Yeah, and now... What happened to monkey japes? Shh. Oh, no, it's coming up, possibly, with a question mark. <laughs> Both arms are raised in drugs. Uh, but no, for this year's... Thanks. Thanks. Uh, we would like to, first of all, uh, give thanks to this week's sponsor, and by sponsor I mean uh, beverage that gives us life, beer. Beer, uh, specifically this week, the old college standby. Yes. When you get that first grad school stipend and you can afford something a little bit you know, pricier than PBR... You pick up Fat Tire by New Belgium Brewing Company. Everyone's favorite beer that they were introduced to after having drank nothing but trash. Everyone's first decent beer. Yeah, it's like the first craft beer that everyone picks up. They're like, huh, Flat Tire. And then only later, about a year or so, you realize it doesn't say Flat Tire. It says Fat Tire. Yeah, and the L is silent. Yeah, as hell, because it's not even there. It's also invisible. Uh, but yes, Fat Tire has gotten me through many a, many a time. Uh, I've been drinking Fat Tire now for way too long. Fat Tire, I want to say, is probably my first session beer. Because my first beer, of course, was Andy Gator, where you learned that in the last episode. But you could not session that. That was like a let's get drunk and party beer. Whereas this is a, a lighter, smoother taste... And you can just drink them all afternoon, and you'll never get too disorderly. An amber ale, you might call it. I really don't know that much about... I mean, I know a lot about beer, but not enough to talk about it intelligently. I just know what I like. I mean, I'm all I'm saying is, I could drink probably 20 fat tires over the course of a small evening and not get drunk. But you drink two Andiators and you're wasted. I'm dead. I'm dead on the inside... My eyes are glazed over, and people are, like, taking my pulse every few minutes 
as I gasp for breath on the floor. You become a fish. Maybe that's the secret. Maybe Andy Gator turns you into a fish. Like uh, all waters from the Abita Springs in Louisiana, it turns you into a fish and you have to get kissed. People have been experienced to tuck everlasting a story of a young boy who has whose family finds a fountain that lives forever. In Louisiana, there is no fountain of youth. There is only the fountain of fish. The fountain of fish that your family finds. And you turn into a fish. Uh, but, yeah, so are we just giving thanks for any old thing? It's more, most specifically, the most specific we can be, we want to look on the past year since the last Give a Fuck's Giving for the things that we are thankful for that we were not thankful for in the year previously that have risen up out of the ashes of the phoenix that is this year to be like, hey, thanks for being there for me. I give a fuck about you. There, uh, there is the thing on Twitter going on right now. Uh, I don't know who started it. Uh, whoever did this, great. Uh, but they've been doing this thing where people are talking about things that they're genuinely thankful for that have changed during the year. Oh, that's cool. We uh, could do that as well. Yeah, I, I very much... And this is just like personal change, things you did that you didn't think you would do or things that you did that surprised yourself. Uh, and I think that... Uh, for me and for you, a lot has changed in this year. Uh, I think that uh, we've both consumed quite a few things to be thankful of. I'd say that uh, 2018 was a very long year. It's still going on. It was a very, very, very long year. It's There it's, was an Olympics. Uh, are you... Yeah, there was an Olympics in 2018. Oh, the winters. Yeah. Yeah, the Winter Olympics. No one talks about it. I watched a few. Did you watch Winter Ping Pong? No. Winter Judo? No. Uh, but 2018 was a very long year and a very bad year for a lot of reasons. A lot of stuff that's uh, very bad that's happening got worse in 2018. Some things got better. Uh, but I think that we both have a fair amount to be thankful for. Yes, such as... Well, first of all, number one, number one from me with a bullet. I almost feel like we had a number of things that we wanted to be thankful for. Oh, I don't remember. I also feel like we were more prepared, or at least Probably. I was. Uh, my number one thing that I'm thankful for, and it might actually be the thing that I'm most thankful for, is since the last thanks, aka Fucksgiving, uh, aka Spicy Fucksgiving, uh, I have moved. Far from my ancestral home uh, to join Henry here in uh, beautiful Austin, Texas. Hey, that's funny. My number one with a bullet was just going to be thanks to Austin, Texas. Thanks. Thanks. What are you thankful to Austin for? I'm thankful to Austin for Austin for giving me a new home, a new place to explore, to discover, to fall into the same old raggedy routines that I fell into in Hattiesburg, only with different flavors. Now, instead of going to school, I go to a job I hate. But it's given me the opportunity to make way more money than I've ever dreamed of, and to live a life, and to get married to a girl, and it's all taken place... In the city of Austin. And, one might argue, because of Austin. Yeah. So it's a lot like your old life, but better and with more succulents. I, I, I have killed a number of succulents since I moved here. Uh, everyone's time in Austin is measured by the number of succulents they've murdered directly. 
Uh, Austin has really given both of us a lot. It's given me a lot over the last year that I've lived here. Uh, actually, as of two days ago, it's my one-year Austin anniversary. Holy shit, you're right. Last year was the year where I drove 11 hours from from Louisiana to Austin to find a hobo sleeping on my couch who actually wasn't here. He was actually out watching a movie. Yeah, I went to go see three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Oh, it has been a long year. <laughs> it has been a long year. Jesus Christ. Yeah, three billboards came out a year ago. Well, happy Austinversary, my friend. Uh, and uh, I think that something that I was thinking about today, which, and I feel like everyone can identify with this a little bit, uh, I've definitely been in Austin for a while, and it's really scary to realize that for my first four to six, no, like five months in Austin, uh, I did nothing. Yeah. I was very insular. I was very depressed. I was very focused on my work. Uh, so especially for the first month, I did not realize how badly I would take the transition of moving. Uh, I did not realize how much I would miss my friends. I did not realize how much it would sting to lose a social circle and have nothing and have to build that up again. Uh, and now in less than a year, well, a little over a year, I've built that up to a point where it's almost the same size, if not greater than it was the previous place that I lived. And the relationships aren't as long. Uh, the, the length of time of that credit history isn't that great. <laughs> uh, but I think that in the time I've lived here, I reflect back on how depressed and tiny my life was for a while. And I, I think that a lot of people can identify with talking to friends and family members who have traveled and who have moved. No one talks about that. No one is, is willing to be vulnerable about that period of time. I, I There's a weird adjustment period when you first move to a different place that no one really prepares you for. Like, I moved to Austin and... I didn't know the city. I didn't have a job. I was, you know, unemployed, trying to troll the internet job sites for a posting that will would change my life forever. And in the meantime, I was just in my in my uh, fiance's apartment. Well, then girlfriend, my then girlfriend's apartment, kind of just wasting the days away, and mm -hmm. that was for two months. We, we would go out maybe to the movies or something, but she was having a full-time job. Couldn't go out and explore the city except on weekends. So Austin was a very small, small place for me. If only I knew one other person. Yeah, you can you can absolutely move somewhere that is much bigger than the place you were, and your life can get much smaller. That we were... I mean, I wouldn't even call us staples of the the city where we came from. We were niche little like uh, outliers yeah. in that we had like not even clout we had the an iota of anything not even power like, I, i'd say we had micro clout i'd say we, we had micro clout we were reasonably recognizable in certain circles and to go from that you know huge pedestal of fame <laughs> to literally being anonymous mm -hmm. was so crazy some people seem to enjoy that. I hated it. it you know, it's, I used to know where I stood in most social sort of interactions with strangers in the city where I came from. Because, like, there was that understanding. Like, oh, you are an improviser. Yeah. 
I am a fan or I am another improviser. Like, I could shape all of my interactions around that. And for the most part, I knew everybody. Yeah, for, for being as relatively prominent as we were in a very limited arts community... Uh, and most of the people we knew being patrons of or members of an arts community, it felt we had a tremendous sense of belonging for what it was worth. And we would all commiserate. We would all go to the local bars and, and drink beer and make jokes about like, haha, we're so depressed. And then to move to a new city and then be like, oh, I thought I knew what depressed was. I don't. Mm-hmm. Now I'm learning what, how, how how low the pit might be able to go. Yeah, now now I'm capable of knowing that... And this is something that I firmly believe after experiencing that. Human beings are social animals. We know this. Oh, yeah. And I think that a huge amount of your mental health on a day-to-day basis, and this varies from person to person, but is measured by, is weighed by your social interactions with people. And to experience very suddenly a complete relatively complete alienation uh drives you into a a dark place of negative like brain chemical deficits that you don't expect for the first month here i was like a weird depressed wreck uh and then slowly over time i adjusted i i got new friends and eventually it led me to the thing that i'm next most thankful for yeah uh which is i started doing improv here yeah uh, that makes one of us i started doing improv here and you know everyone goes to different things but i started doing improv here and it was the thing that i was missing uh i i like to joke that i like to joke that improv is kind of uh therapy like cheap therapy though it's not that cheap uh, but the first time I had a class here, I felt a kind of lightness of being that I had not experienced since I moved. It kind of like lifted this weird veil that was over me. And it wasn't because I was doing this like dumb, purely American art form. It's just because it gave me a sense of belonging, uh, which is the thing that I was missing. It was the thing that had been like taken from me is the idea that I belong somewhere. So when you start feeling like you belong somewhere, all those chemicals start to come back up. Your brain starts to, like, come back to life in a nice way. Yeah, brag more. I'm just saying, for <laughs> for everyone, they, they come to different things. I'm sure that you have things that wake your, awaken your brain. Not really. Oh. Uh. Oh, no. <laughs> well, no, it's just one of us... Has done a great job recovering from that initial moving depression. The other and obviously one of us, it is you. No, the other one of us is is struggling still. But I, if the key is to take an improv class, that's a shame. I don't know if I'm ever going to do that again. I'd say the key is not necessarily to take an improv class at all. I think that I think that what I get out of improv is cool. But I think that you can get that out of almost anything. Yeah. But I really think the secret of it is to feel like you belong. Uh, an easy trick to feel like you belong is to put yourself in a position where other human beings, other adult human beings, are obligated to be there. So people talk about school, right? And yeah. how easy it was to make friends in school. Because we were all sort of just in the same pool of people. Yeah, everyone talks about making friends in school and says it's hard making friends as an adult. It's impossible to make friends as an adult 
because the structure is completely different. You weren't totally free as a child. Yeah. You weren't making friends outside of school for the most part. Exactly. You were making friends in an obligate system. So if put you put yourself in a new system. Yeah, put yourself in a new system. Re-enroll yourself in school. And make it not work, because work is the worst. No, don't make friends at work. The second thing that I am most thankful for this past year, and I say this with no ounce of irony, I'm very much thankful for that series of supplemental readings we did in the summer, where we watched every Fast and the Furious movie in short film. It's it was, <laughs> it was just a real like I would never have done that yeah. if you had not suggested it. We we I, we could have gone our entire lives of not being exposed to that particular series of of Americana, and I just feel so. I, like we benefited so much for watching all the horrible lows to see just how high you can get in a huge star-filled big-budget summer action movie, and. It's a gift that keeps giving, John. Because mm-hmm. there's going to be more of those movies. There are going to be more of those We're going to watch them. I, I really enjoyed that for what it was at the end, and I think we touched on this a little bit at the end of that supplemental reading series. It was something that through obligating ourselves to this task, we opened a door to something and we forced ourselves to find it delightful and it became a big part of our lives i was watching an instagram story and there was a big screen tv in the background wasn't paying attention to it then i looked over and saw the back of dom toretto's head i saw it and i was like oh that's fast five i knew which one it was and the second i recognized which fast and the furious movie that was i remembered it i remembered watching it i remembered being happy and sad and in a weird way, it's like an artificial... It's like Total Recall. It's like these memories were injected into our heads. We didn't experience it authentically, but we experienced it, and as a result, had to feel those things. It's, so it's it's like we transplanted a love of Fast and the Furious into our own brains. <laughs> through the forced obligation of having to watch it. Yeah. And because of that, we have now a vocabulary and a language that we wouldn't have had before. We get exposed to a whole slice of experiences that we would just otherwise missed out on. And so I'm thankful for the opportunity to broaden my horizon through tasting and drinking over like 64 Corona. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a lot of residual Corona living in my kidneys and liver. I was in a gas station in Jackson, Mississippi this past weekend looking for beer. I followed my, my little, my little navigational device. Ma- your beer finder. My beer finder. Your Corona meter. To where it, I was promised a beer shoppy. But instead found a gas station. Mm. And so I was presented with the normal selections of gas station beer. And my eyes for half a second and my heart for half a second lit up as they fell upon a case of Corona. (laughs) And then I realized, wait a second, that is not the beer I am looking for. And you touched the Corona (laughs) and the memories rushed up your arms and into your head. You saw Tyrese saying ejecto cedo cuz... You saw uh, Han dying. You saw Jason Statham with a baby. You saw it all. It all flashed before my eyes. And then I grabbed Andy Gator and Fat Tire because 
it was the night of a bachelor party. I'm here to have fun, not to relive the the, the imported memories from Fast and Furious. If your uh, if your life was a bad movie, you would touch it, take your hand away, and then it would cut to the bachelor party where you walk in in a white wife beater holding Coronas. <laughs> we you can help yourself to any drink as long as it's a Corona. <laughs> yeah, and you've become Dom Toretto. Yeah, shave my head. Of yeah, all of my hair. Finally, one of us does that. Yeah. So that's the second thing I am thankful for. And I say we maybe limit this to one. One. We already done two. We've done two. I would say a top three, and we've already done top one and top two. Top three thankfuls. Yeah. Uh, this might be the number that we did last year. I would say that's a pretty safe bet. Threes are good. Threes are magic. I'm a third. What am I thankful for that's changed in my life in the last year? Yeah. Hmm. Man. And you can't you can't take the easy road out. You can't say this podcast. Oh, no. Because that's what I'm going to say. I'm also not thankful for this podcast. You hate this podcast. It also hasn't been created in the last year. You hate doing it. No, I love it. You hate my my... All of my passion goes into this podcast, and you just hate it. No, I love it. Uh... I'd say, man, can you come back to me? Yeah, I guess I, I gotta, could. I gotta think of one. Well, you went first the last two rounds. I guess I'll be forced on the spot to name something. Hold on, I'm cleaning the beer out of my beard. It's a good moment for radio. It really is. Oh, what else am I thankful for? I'm thankful for the past year. I don't know if you guys know this. I don't know if I've shared this on the podcast enough. That it's stuck in your collective minds. I'm I'm engaged, John. Oh, in what? I'm some kind a, of activity. I'm engaged. I'm a fiance. So you're you're like really tuned in at work. You're in the zone. No, I've I I proposed to my girlfriend of seven years. Ooh, and I am too en- soon. <laughs> and I am engaged to be wed. Oh. To exchange my hand for another. <laughs> to to lop off the one hand, receive a different hand. Yes, the exchanging of hands, the dowries have been set. Three goats and a pig. Uh-huh. It is a done deal. I'm getting married. Congratulations. Well, you don't need to. Okay. But thanks. You're welcome. And I'm thankful that I am in a place in my life where I feel comfortable enough with another human person another one of these g- gross flesh meat bags with that are just like a bundle of nerves and anxiety about doing the right thing that i am comfortable with another one of those things to say yes i want to spend the rest of my life with that person that's what it's all about yeah i'm sorry can i say that like more of a mess that's what it's all about that's what it's all about, Clink. The being clink. a person. Yeah, it's all about being a person. Uh, but no, uh, there's no need to congratulate you, but, uh, well done. Good hunt. Good hunt. <laughs> good hunt. I found- you got one. That's so gross. They always say, like, oh, good, good catch, or good, like, like you- they're, they're always like, good catch, or, ah, oh, how'd you convince her to stay, or, ah, oh, how'd you convince him to stay? I got a text from my mother, and this was tagged on to the end of the text. You found a good person to add to the family. Oh, boy. And all I could think, flashbacks to Resident Evil 7. (laughs) Welcome to the family, kid. Yeah, and being punched out by an invincible zombie dad. (laughs) 
Uh, is that going to be a feature of your wedding? Yes. Being punched out by your invincible zombie dad? Everyone who is invited gets punched out by my invincible zombie dad. Because Resident Evil 7, little known fact, takes place in Louisiana. Yeah, your homeland. I'm pretty sure that's not a little... I'm pretty sure the game opens up with you traveling to Louisiana. That's where I come from. It opens up and it says Resident Evil, Louisiana, and the L turns upside down and turns into a seven. Yeah. Seven Louisiana. Yes, Louisiana Queen. <laughs> uh, which is the name of my fan boat. Nice. Yes, Louisiana Queen. Uh, I figured out what I'm thankful for. Also, congratulations. Thank you. Good for, hunt. For the third... Well, oh my well God. bagged. Uh, but, but, and I... I just want to extend, for those of you who have not found that comfort in another person yet, keep looking. And, uh, I, well, if if that's what you want out of life, or if you don't know, keep looking. Or if you're one of those people who are okay by themselves, stop looking and be thankful for just your own self. Or I'd like to submit a third option. Uh, stop looking and enjoy yourself and you'll, might also get somebody, but I don't know. Don't stress about it. Yeah, it's not, I don't know. I, that's a perspective I haven't thought about in a very long time because I've been in a relationship for the past seven years. I, uh, so every relationship that I've been in and the past few I've been in have been way more like, monogamous and long-lasting than the other relationships I was in. But relationships... Uh, you've seen Mr. Magoo, right? Yes, the, the nearly blind person who every Christmas sees three ghosts, only I don't think he actually ever sees them. He hears them. Uh, so I'm kind of the Mr. Magoo of relationships. And that you think cars are dragons? Uh, yes. No. Uh, but I consistently... I don't know that I've ever tried to get into a relationship. They just kind of happen to me by accident. Yeah. So I just kind of like slip on a banana peel and land in a race car and then win the Indy 500. Every time we have beer on this podcast, you cannot open it. <laughs> I'm sorry. So yeah, you sort of trip and fall into a relationship. You're not the hunter. You are... The, well, I guess I was looking for a comparison, and the only one I can think of is Mr. Magoo. Yeah, I'm not the hunter, I'm the idiot, uh, who just happens to get relationshiped, which is great. I love my relationship. In a way, you are the Nimrod. In both senses of the ancient Greek great hunter, and the more modern sense, an idiot who looks like <laughs> Elmer Fudd. Yes, I would say that I am, uh, Cupid's Nimrod. Uh, but, uh, yeah, don't, don't look for relationships, do what I do, because apparently it works. My first few relationships were just people I were friends with, and this last one was one that I was like, no, we're gonna do this right, we're gonna do the whole courting thing. That's a whole other story, neither here nor there. The point is, everything works. Yeah, everything works, or it doesn't, just don't beat yourself up. Uh, Relationships are a luck thing, for the most part. Small disclaimer. If a person that you are interested in, that you are interested in, tells you that they are not interested in you, drop it. Yeah, cut Move it. on. Cut, cut it out. Cut it do, out. Do not start cursing them out and saying, like, oh, you're ugly anyway. That, sh that shit doesn't work. Yeah, Fuck no. Fuck that. Don't, look, if, if you try to date someone and they don't want to date you... Quit! It's except, very simple. Yeah, except the rejection. It hurts. 
There's no denying that it's like, oh, a possible door has closed on me, and that emotionally is more than I can bear, and so I want to lash out. But it's not their fault that they're not interested in you, so just move on gracefully, accept the loss, and then, like, beef up for next time. I've got two kind of, they're not conflicting thoughts, but they're two very genuine thoughts that might seem to be conflicting, uh, if you're, uh, if you don't have a very strong stomach. The first one is, if you go up to someone and you ask them out, or you ask them if they like you, if you ask them anything that has a direct impact on or is a reflection of their feelings for you in action, deed, or word, uh, what you're doing is you're becoming vulnerable. Yes. So you're opening yourself up to a great amount of vulnerability, and vulnerability is a skill. You learn to become vulnerable. What you did there, you became vulnerable to a person. If they say no, uh, then it hurts a lot. Being vulnerable and then being hurt is awful. Yeah, because you exposed yourself to the no. Yeah. And then the no happened. And so now it's like, I, o- I took off my armor, opened up my chest... And you stuck the no knife right in there. Well, then you just take the no knife out, seal up your chest, and heal up for the next time you want to open it up. Yeah, it it takes so much courage to be vulnerable. And if someone shoots you down when you are vulnerable, they were being vulnerable in that moment too. They were telling you the truth. It doesn't hurt them as much as it hurts you, guaranteed. But... The next time, you'll recover faster. You're going to get better being vulnerable as a skill. Second thought that I have. If you ask someone out and they say no, accept the L and move on. I did. That's that's what you do. That's what you have to do. Uh, I, I don't like to be like a man-up person. Yeah. But the thing about vulnerability is that to be a successful person in your career, in your relationship, in your leisure, in your hobbies, you have to learn to be okay with being vulnerable. Uh, and if you're, if you don't learn to be okay with being vulnerable, you become a spiteful, insular, defensive, hateful person. Yeah. So if you're vulnerable and they say no, toughen up. I really hate to be the kind of person to tell people to toughen up, but the thing about vulnerability is you gotta fucking learn to toughen up. Well, I think toughen up is better than like man up or any other gendered up, you know? Yeah, you know, I'm pe- gonna get gendered up tonight. Well, people say like nut up, and I, I I've always yeah. hated that. It's or, like or nut man, up, man up, cowboy up, all those things. Sack up, cowboy's more of a profession, but all those gendered ones are yeah, those are problematic. But toughen up for sure. And I just want to say, she'll hate that I'm telling the story, but I accepted the elf gracefully, and now I'm marrying her. So did you persist? No, I did not. Okay. Sometimes it works. I know the story. Sometimes it works. That's yeah. all I'm going to say. Be graceful. You can, you can definitely have that. You've already had one. Well, I had it in Jackson. Oh. But you t- still had it. We had I'm five beers. He's having the last one. It's this whole thing. I've had a rough day. We all have. All right. Let's close the book on... Toughen up. On toughening up. Toughen up. But closing the book on that, let's get to your third thankful thing. Uh, my third thankful thing, yeah, my triple th. Yeah, it's hard to say. Uh, is, and this is, uh, something that I've actually been struggling with. I'm like a weirdly, uh, ideation comes easy to me. Like being stuck in my own head and thinking for long periods of time is something that I'm very good at. Uh, so I've been spending a lot of time doing this. Uh, 
But I've been thinking about the way that I approach the world. And I don't want to make this another thing that I'm thankful to Austin for, but it definitely helped. Oh, it stems from Austin, but it's it's separate. It, yeah, it's, it's separate. It's something that I learned to do in Austin because of because of a few things. But I know that as a person, and I've gotten this criticism many times, it's an opportunity for growth. Uh, I don't tend to be an overly positive person. Would you agree? I have experienced your negativity. Yeah. And that the other day, I don't know if you want me sharing this, the other day you made a joke in a group chat, and then on a direct message, you came to me worried about your sense of humor. Yeah, I I do believe I said, I wonder if my humor is bad. That's what you said, yes. And so, so yeah, you 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 have, I mean, I think you and I kind of share a negative outlook, but what are, what are you thankful for? Uh, I'm just saying I, I tend to be a negative person. The depths of my negativity tend to be much, much deeper than a lot of people I'm around. Uh, however, since moving to Austin and due in large part to the people I've met here, both become friends with and just interacted with, I think that I've genuinely become a more positive person. And I've changed in the way that I approach a lot of things. Uh, and I think that's because in the place where we used to live, uh, because it was a place that a lot of people ended up getting stuck, it was very easy to become negative sometimes. And I cultivated an aura of negativity with the people I knew, and it probably dragged them down a little bit. Uh, but in small places, it's easy to be very negative. But in Austin, the people that I've met have so many options and opportunities, they kind of look at things in a brighter way. <laughs> And I mean, there's nothing stopping someone from doing this. You can be from the tiniest town in the world and still be a positive person. But because I've managed to, like, extricate myself from, like, an echo chamber of negativity that I created, I'm able to see how ridiculous that behavior was. And, I don't know, I wake up on a brighter side of the bed every day. I I'm in a constant state of trying to think more positively, especially about my boss and my job. Even today, I've fallen, to, fallen into a habit of singing very negative songs when I'm, like, in the shower uh -huh. about wanting my boss to be oft in horrible ways. Mm -hmm. And starting this morning, I thought, no. So oft, like, you want him to be often doing things? Well, oft as in, like, no longer alive. Oh, no. Honestly. And, and like, before this job, I never really thought of... Wanting someone to die. Mm -hmm. But I've gotten to, into this habit of singing about this person, like, people gathering together to kill this person. Yeah. Because a lot of people are mad about the... Bosses are bad people. Bosses and landlords have serious issues. And I, I've heard it before in media, like, when you are angry at someone or when you're mad at someone, you're giving them power over you. Mm -hmm. And I never really thought about it until, like, the 99th day in the row, I'm in the shower and I'm starting to sing these stupid songs to old religious hymns, because that's the only music I know. Go tell it on the mountain, murder my boss with every knife, go. <laughs> you're not, you're not far <laughs> off. I'm glad. You're not far off. But um, I thought just this morning that why don't give him the power? Mm -hmm. You know, he's, he, he makes your life miserable, sure. 
but it's only within the confines of the four walls of your job. Mm-hmm. It should not extend to the four walls of your shower. <laughs> the three, the three <laughs> walls and the curtain of your shower. Yeah, or or the four walls of your car. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to start. There, there's something powerful about a positive outlook in life. It, it lit the, the, the language that we use, even in our heads, has so much power over the way we view things. So I'm glad you're in a place where you can, you can use a more positive perspective of everyday situations. And I hope you can continue it because honestly, like it, it's, it's probably the most beneficial thing a person can do. Yeah, I'm I'm really trying. I and I think it's I think it's getting better. I don't know. I feel happier. But also something that I will let the listeners in on is that I know that I'm talking about positivity and positivity is something that I've struggled with my entire life. Uh but I think that's because typically when people talk about positivity, they talk about it in this guise of you need to change the way you think. Yeah. Uh, you need to use totally different language. You need to change the way you view the situation completely, I which mean, is impossible. Okay. I don't think that anyone can take a situation that they genuinely feel one way about and choose to feel another way. Okay. Everyone's perspective is going to kind of be the same. However, how you frame these things is totally up to you. Because in my line of work, I generally... Uh, run into some people who are in great positions of power over me that I'm not fans of how they do business or how they work or anything like that. Uh, so I think the positivity mantra in society would have me say, oh, they're just people. They're just like you and me. Uh, it's fine. Everyone's just trying their best. And I can't do that because that's not the kind of person I am. Okay. Uh, I have started to view those situations through a more positive light. Uh, by looking at these people as, uh, just powerless employees. So they're just like me. They have the same level of power. However, in any given situation, I have an equal level of power, just not as much money. Okay. At any point, life is, life is free play. You could walk out of a building and do whatever the fuck you wanted to do. We get trapped in these weird social hierarchies of like boss to manager to employee. But at the end of the day, we're all the same disgusting flesh bags, bundles of nerves full of anxiety. Like, if you cut your boss, he will bleed. Mm -hmm. They're not some type of weird monster thing. So your positive spin on it is they're just a human just like me trying to do all of the duties of their job just like I am. Yeah, he's he, he or she is just a product of opportunities that has resulted in certain responsibilities that, and this is completely unimportant, has a, have a certain dollar figure attached to them. Yeah. But since life is free and you could do whatever you wanted to, you could walk out. You could say, I want to quit. You could say, I want a lemon meringue pie. You could, like, turn in a circle eight times, walk out, get in an elevator. You can do whatever you want to do. And the only thing that's keeping the power dynamic that stresses you out every day afloat is your choice to stay on that line. And your choice to stay on that line shows it is entirely within your power. And if, if you're doing something that's entirely within your power, then how you frame it is totally up to you. So rather than choosing to see it as I'm stuck at this job, I'm stuck doing the the same task or these this monumental document mountain that I have to do for my job 
you choose it as, you view it as, I'm choosing to still be at this job. Yeah. I'm choo- and that, that's, that's pretty powerful because then it puts the power in your court. Yeah. Every single thing you do is a choice. And if you, if you reckon with the fact that you're trapped by nothing and you're making a choice every day, then you have to come to a realization of either if you feel like you've been trapped for so long and then you realize you have choice and it's that big of a deal, just fucking leave. Yes. And I know that's that's hard. That's impossible it, for most yeah. people. And the reason that is is because you're actually making a choice to stay there for, in most cases, economic benefit. However, economic benefit in the grand scheme of things is largely meaningless. So... If you're staying there for economic benefit, you're staying there for a marginal opportunity, and you can treat it however the fuck you want to. And people's perceptions of you is just from the perspective of someone who's doing the exact same thing. I, I feel like it, this might be a generational thing. Our generation, the the mo- our generation, the millennials, if you will, the whatever letter should should have been assigned to us, but wasn't. I feel like. Or, or at least this is just me. I've questioned authority my entire life. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not one to just blindly follow orders and get, and feel stuck at a job. I've got it in the back of my head. I can walk out at any time. Yeah. And even with this, uh, this, this, this job economy, I, I've read multiple times we're in like a job hopping economy where it benefits the job hopper. And not the person who stays there forever. Yeah. Typically, staying at a place for one and a half to two years benefits people the most. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like maybe it's a ger- generational thing that we're just like, yeah, we're, we can just walk out on a job. We're not yeah. going to get stuck at the same place for 50 years. So keep that in the brim of your hat. Yeah, you can do whatever you want. What's the worst thing that could happen? The I, worst thing that I'm can happen. I'm fired and I can't find a new job. You're fired and you can't find a new job. As a result of not... Let's track this down. As a result of not being able to find a new job. You can't make rent. You can't make rent. I'm homeless. You have a certain amount of credit. You'll probably run that out. And actually, I have a saving emergency savings account. Let's I, say that runs out. That runs out. Yeah. So and three then months pass. Three months pass. Your entire savings account is gone. You run through all your debt. So you have to leave your apartment. Then you hit your safety net, which is your family and your friends. Your friends let you stay with them for a while. You move back in with your family. Your whole life is uprooted, sure. But you're still alive and you still get prospects. That goes even worse. You, Your family hates you. You become genuinely homeless. There's a lot keeping you from being homeless, but there's not as much as you might think. Going Being homeless goes really poorly. No one will give you money. No one likes you. You die in the cold. That's a bummer. That's the But absolute... it would take so long for that to happen, and so many things would have to fail you. Okay, so that, that's the absolute worst scenario, and you're saying somewhere along the trip down, odds are, statistics would say something bounces back up. Yeah, and, and people who do end up homeless, it's because they have fallen through all of those barriers, and they uh, deserve your respect. And your generosity, absolutely. I mean, but you, you, the, the worst thing that would happen is the most primal fear that every human being has, which is dying of literal starvation. Um, yeah, that's that is that's the one thing we're trying to avoid. You talk about primal fears. There's two, right? There's being eaten by an animal, yeah, or dying of starvation. Those are like the two primal fears. Yeah, 
Everything so, else is product or, or, or byproducts of that. Everything else is icing on that cake. But if you think of all the stuff that happens that has to happen to you between where you are now and starving to death, it's such a it's such a massive leap that at some point you'd bounce back or maintain homeostasis and you'd still be alive. That's such a big picture thing and such a and I, I like it. It's such an anti-capitalist thing where all we are concerned about is I need the 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 most modern fear, the super, most modern superficial, the most modern superficial fear is I need to be able to maintain the level that I'm living right now. Yeah, I want to maintain this rung and walk up to the next one if possible. Never do I want to move downwards. That's yeah. a complete capitalist thing. That's not like a I. Takes out the human part of it because mm-hmm. falling down a rung, you're not dead. Yeah, not falling at down all. Another rung, you're not dead. Not until you're like off the ladder. Yeah, for are you dead? For where we are in life, for what we have, we have so much separating us from starving to death. Uh, which and a lot of people aren't lucky enough to be in that position. They're closer to it. There's still a fair amount of leeway, though. And I'm not saying that everyone can bounce back. But you have so many chances, so many opportunities on a day-to-day basis that the fact that you would stress yourself out over something that you're choosing to do every day to maintain homeostasis, it's silly. Because careers are silly. Careers make no sense. College degrees are silly. Apartments yeah. are silly. Like, we're, we're all, we're all taking play, we're all taking part in the same board game and we're taking it too seriously. Like, don't, Stress out over what one employee feels about you when you can feel basically however you want about the situation. And that is how I've been positively looking at ridiculous stuff in my life. I, that, that's a great, yeah, I feel like, you know, in the Matrix, at the very end of the first. Wait, which one? The first the one, first the second one, or the third the first one? First one. The one where the guy has a orgasm cake? No, I think that's the second one. The very first one. Toward the very end of the film. Minor spoiler, I guess. Neo can see the Neo? code. Neo? Neil? Neo? Uh, I've watched that movie all wrong. Mr. Anderson? Neil Anderson? Keanu Reeves' character. Obviously, you know who Keanu Reeves is. Uh-huh. He plays... J- John Wick. Jason Wick. Jonathan Wick. <laughs> Jason Wick. Yeah. When he can see the code in the Matrix, I feel like that's what you're sort of doing with your life. You can see, like... The weird threads that are keeping you in the and and like the possible misery that could exist, and you're rearranging it to be like that's not misery. I'm choosing to do this and giving yourself agency in the process, so you don't feel powerless. I just feel like it's because we live in a system that's designed to make us feel powerless. And then you punch the guy in the glasses. Uh, yeah. The whole reason we feel that way is because the system's designed to make us feel anonymous and powerless, and that's not at all the case. That's capitalism in a nutshell. Capitalism is no mobility between classes, and everyone feels powerless. And it's like, oh, you got to take care of your family because you're a man, and so it's like, all right, got to stay at the job that I hate to provide for the family that's not grateful for my sacrifice. And then when I turn forty, I buy a sports car. Yeah, I mean, capitalism by itself, all capitalism is meant to do. I know that capitalism as uh, an economic and political principle, as an ideology, uh, is just meant to be profit for profit's sake. Free markets are the most efficient. 
Uh, if enough people are pulling on the great chain together, then the load will move. Uh, and that's absolutely not true. Capitalism in its most efficient form, which we are uh, dangerously close to approaching, is just put individuals in little individually productive boxes, make them not communicate, because in communication they breed power and other organizations can threaten larger organizations. And that's how you succeed. Have no one talk about their salary. Have no one talk about their working conditions. Keep everything hush-hush. Separate work from private life. Leave your life at home. Leave your work at work. And you'll succeed. As long as you scare enough people into believing that there should be no carryover and they have no power, then you can have uh, one of the most skilled and knowledgeable workforces in the country that is not in the country but in the world that is also the most subservient. It's perfect. Yeah. And and that's what Karl Marx talked about. Talked about. <laughs> that's what Karl Marx talked about. That's what Karl Mar- Marx talked about when he talked about the like the worker being separated from the product. Yeah. When the worker can't afford the product they make, he w- Marx was saying that's a problem. When they're so a- alienated from the product of their own work, And they're only doing one little part of the chain. That's the problem. Yeah, American capitalist culture is a masterclass in psychological manipulation. It's horrifyingly efficient how it's worked so well. You know, I bet... When we talked about H.P. Lovecraft in a previous episode, I bet if the ancient gods existed and they saw what humans are doing unto humans, they would take a step back and be like, Well, damn... We can't drive these humans mad. They're already doing it to themselves. I think if you found a force of objective evil, they would be surprised and astonished at what we've done. They would, they would look at a city like New York that said, we don't have money for affordable housing. We don't have money to fix the subways. We don't have money to fix the roads. We don't have money to, uh, provide school and education and government subsidies for college educations and high school. We don't have money to expand Medicaid in the state of New York. But what we do have is enough money to pay fucking Jeff Bezos, who has more wealth than a double digit percentage of the American population, billions of dollars. Just so because it will create jobs. It'll create like 5,000 jobs, most of which are not even tech sector, which will go nowhere. What, what I've read, the, it's not going to create jobs. It's going to relocate jobs. Yeah, because people will move to New York to work for Amazon. So, so you're not even stimulating the economy that you're, uh, of the community that you're joining. Which is the ridiculous fucking stupid myth about tech companies is peop- every place wants a tech company to move there because they think that tech companies will stimulate the economy and provide jobs. They just relocate people because when you have a place that starts up that requires a highly skilled workforce that you in no way have the industry withstanding already to create... People just fly in and move there. So more people move in. Rent becomes more expensive, even though rent hikes for the most part are just a made up idea. Uh, You're selling your city out for a bunch of transplants who drive up rent, who drive up the price of consumer goods, who overpopulate and gentrify your cities. The only community that a tech company would benefit if by some miracle the community is already a bunch of like coding and back-end developers, front-end developers, like if they somehow 
landed in the same community and then like Google kind of like came by and opened up a Google shop. Yeah. That's the only community it would really benefit because you need highly skilled people and those people are all across the planet. Like yeah. they're, they're not all in one one location. You you need a highly skilled workforce and I, honestly maybe this that's not even the point. I don't think that they're genuinely out there to create jobs for their cities. I think they're out there to stimulate local and state economies. Uh, and everything else doesn't matter. It, it, yeah, tech companies, like, it, back in the day, say, like, you live in the mountains, and, like, you've lived in the mountains your entire life, and a bunch of people live in the mountains, and then all of a sudden a mining company comes, and they open it, they, they take over one of the mines, and they're, they're like, oh, we're going to make this coal plant mm-hmm. right next to the mine. So, suddenly all these people who didn't have jobs... They can become miners, or they can become, like, technicians in the coal plant. They even open a little school. It's like, we're going to train you to be engineers in this coal plant. Boom. That stimulates jobs. That that creates jobs. Gets the, the, the workforce in there. The only problem is tech companies need education. Yeah. The, Ed, education doesn't exist in mining companies or mi- mining towns. I mean, there's this, uh, there's this persistent myth of someone who has been like, I don't know, working in a mass textile manufacturing facility for 30 years. Uh, there's this persistent myth in this like upward mobility code on your lunch break culture where they think that someone can flip a fucking switch, get laid off from the textile factory, take a three week Python course and be able to work at fucking Google. And that's just not true. No. The people who are getting hired for these positions are tremendously well skilled, are tremendously time rich and young because these are jobs that require long hours and tremendous dedication. Someone with a family cannot turn Turn around, take a class at a community college, and get hired by Facebook. You want to talk about the barrier for entry-level positions and how they want three to five years experience? The tech industry are the biggest violators or the biggest aggressors in that field just because they're like, we want the best of the best. We won't settle for just your average Joe. Yeah. They're the, they're the biggest ag- ag- aggressors. For, for employees, for tech companies especially. And this isn't true in a lot of other sectors, but for tech companies, it's a buyer's market. Uh, they, they will take the best talent they can, pay them the least they can, which is quite a lot. But still, the, the competition is tremendous. People work at these tech companies from all over the world. So the, the idea that you could create you could just plop down an Amazon HQ and expect to generate a ton of fucking jobs for New York is ridiculous. And that's after years, maybe, of like capital and smaller cities creating insane pitches to get an Amazon HQ there. And it, in the end, it was all about transit anyway. Yeah. But I, it's dumb. And I forgot how we got here. We were just talking about how capitalism fucking sucks. Uh, some people, some people on a certain political spectrum uh, like to talk about how America is more socialistic now than it ever has been. And that could not be further from the truth. America is like chickens coming home to roost for capitalistic tendencies right now. And it's really horrifying. Yes. We've been sold up the river by capitalism for a long time. By corporations, really. I mean, yeah. corporations are the biggest aggressor. Oh, no, yeah, by corporations. You mean people? 
Yeah, people. Corporations that count as people? Yeah, fuck that noise. Uh, I don't know. It's it's an impossible problem to solve, and we need to pivot hard, but it does not look like we're pivoting hard enough. I don't even know how you solve it. Like, I, this past weekend, I ran into some libertarians and, and, and some others. Like, people... I'm not exposed to a lot of centralist liberals in my life, or at least, like, financially. Yeah. You know, financial centrist liberals... You know, we mostly deal with the social realm of politics. Yeah. Uh, and I just had to reiterate, like, or, or, or come to the discovery that I am an anti-capitalist anarchist. I mean... I just want the entire system, both politically and financially, to be rebooted so that we could have another chance at finding a system that will benefit more people. Here's something that I'd like to do. Uh, I know that we say that we like to not get political on this podcast. Yeah. Uh, and this seems like a good time for things we're thankful for. I'm thankful for the fact that some people have an outdated argument that talking about capitalism is an economic discussion and not a political one, even though it is. Uh, and we never said that we'd never get economic on this podcast, uh, cause we need to break up the banks and reboot the system. We, we need to institute more socialistic policies in America. We need to fund public housing. Uh, we need to. Hey, Austin did. In we this did. Past election. We did. We, we need to defund subsidies for corporations that are draining us dry and killing our people. No more tax breaks for fucking Amazon. Uh, no more tax breaks for Amazon. As a matter of fact, you could tax the fuck out of the rich. If I was, and we should. If I was a rich person, my taxes went up this year because I earned more money, and I am a thousand percent okay with that. And we should tax the fuck out of the rich because even at a ludicrous tax bracket, they are still living significantly better than everyone else. And the fact that we've created, in part and in parcel, this caste system, we've eliminated the middle class. And we effectively have a top-heavy, super-wealthy class that has serfs at the bottom level? Fuck that. Yeah. Like, the the fact that $100,000 is this insane goal for most people living in the United States, but is, like, the bare minimum required to have any normalcy in your life? Insane. Tax the super-rich, fund public housing, fund affordable housing... Medicare for everybody. Universal basic income. Universal basic income, sure. Expand Medicaid. Universal Medicare. Yeah. It might happen. Uh, a lot would need to change. Yeah. I'm just glad There that are certain people I'm very happy about that are being very vocal about it, and I hope they continue to be. It, I mean, we already had a, a tiny, the tiniest of small victories when they did not... Wait. Did they appeal Obamacare? Uh, I don't know what the Obamacare thing... I don't know totally what happened with it. I, I feel know. like... But Obamacare was a stopgap measure anyway. I'm at a, I'm at a state where I can't remember the things I want to talk about, so. We've also been going for an hour. I know, and we're not gonna get to my super grape prepared content. You said grape prepared content? Did I say grape prepared content? I believe you said grape prepared, like they did surgery on a grape? Yeah, that's what it is. Oh. Uh, well, I'm just gonna do a little name drop on New York Mag. And whymag.com. Uh, Brian Feldman's article about this, they did surgery on a grape thing. 
Very well written. Very. I was just going to read his uh, like his first two paragraphs of his article. I think we're out of time. Uh, wait, are we doing plugs now? I was just going to plug it. Yeah, plug that. I also have something to plug. Uh, you can plug it. I just want to... Tiny, tiny, tiny lead in. Mm-hmm. And then lead out immediately. I didn't know why the surgery on a grape thing was popping up so much. Turns out it was like a meme or something. Apparently scientists had surgery on a grape. But Brian Feldman does a really... Feldman? Oh, God. Yeah, Brian Feldman does a really great job kind of breaking it down. And so check out his article on NewYorkMag.com. We didn't have enough time to cover it here. Yes, and something that I would like to plug, it's, I believe the first episode of this came out today. Uh, it is something that I greatly enjoy. It is a, you're not going to believe this, it is an intersection of everything that you know that I love. Uh, number one, uh, fight sports. Uh, number two, uh, critical U.S. and world economic and political history. And that is the six part, the six part documentary series, uh, produced and directed, I believe, by SB Nation's John Boys and written and, uh, narrated by Felix Biederman, Fighting in the Age of Loneliness. Uh, it is a six part documentary on YouTube about the evolution of mixed martial arts today and it also tracks its per- its performance in the world stage uh in a really interesting way it's very uh fantastically written it's very clever uh their narration is great and it gives uh, a very human and approachable air to mixed martial arts in its full history so its framing device is um God, what's his name? Chris Weidman. I think it's Chris Weidman and, uh, God, I can't remember his fucking name. Anderson Silva. Uh, so it, it tracks a career through MMA and then like all good frame stories, it then goes back to the beginning and it tracks the history of the popularization of mixed martial arts as a sport all the way from feudal Japan to the modern day. It's very good. They did surgery on a grape. They did surgery on a grape. They did surgery on a grape. (sighs) They did surgery on a grape. And on that note, I feel like it's time to uh, do some more plugs. Yeah. Some social media plugs. Plugs of ourselves. And I see that you're drinking a Coca-Cola Zero. I'm sorry I drank that last beer. It's very old. And made you drink something non-alcoholic. However... from yesterday. I would like to run through the social media plugs, and I would like to tell you, Henry... It's very flat. ...that there is a special addition to these social media plugs for this week. What, are you going to mention Twitch? Yup. So, if you want to send us a tweet about your favorite surgery on a grape meme, I don't know if that's... Is that just a thing? I think the meme is just, they did surgery on a grape. If you want to send us your favorite, I don't know, do that at ZCPCWHJ on Twitter.com, which stands for Henry. They did surgery on a grape. That's what it stands for. And if you want to send us an email, you can do so at zero credits is a podcast at gmail.com. Send us your spam. Send us your glam. But please 
Under no circumstances should you send us your woe, Black Betty, Bambalams. And you can find us on Facebook by searching for Zero Credits Podcast on the Facebook search bar. We have no presence on Facebook, except we do. Where we do have a presence now, though, is on twitch.tv slash zero credits. Where, can you believe it? We streamed a video game again for nigh on two and a half hours. Yeah. Two hours and 27 minutes. We save-scummed our way through the easiest level in Hitman 2016. It's not save-scumming if you're deliberately making a joke. And you can, too, by watching us. And also, there's a link on our YouTube. Uh, there's a link have, to our YouTube. Wait, we have a YouTube channel we where people it. can watch this. Yes, we have a YouTube channel. So if you're on a phone and the Twitch VOD system doesn't work in your browser and also isn't available in the app for some stupid fucking reason, you can find us on YouTube by searching for youtube.com slash... Um, hold on, River. Yes, hold on. River Zero Credits? Is that it? Maybe that that What happened? I've never done this! You can find us on YouTube by searching for Zero Credits Hitman. We're probably on like the fifth page. Because since it's YouTube, the first five pages are going to be racists. Hey, we're the first hit! For zero credits, Hitman. <laughs> really? We're the first hit? God damn. Well, the algorithm wins again. Yeah. Zero and, credits, Hitman. <laughs> and, of course, you can like, comment, and subscribe on your platform of choice being iTunes by going to the iTunes Apple Podcasts and looking for zero credits. Like, comment, subscribe. Find us on Spotify for searching for zero credit, open parentheses, S, Close parentheses, we really need to take out the stylization for our presence. Honestly, we can't. On Spotify. It's way too late for that. And the most important thing, you know it, you love it. Word of the mouth is the only way we can survive. So if you have a group of people that you want to tell about a podcast, tell them about ours. And then that group of people will tell another group of people. And these multiple groups will get together and they'll form some kind of, uh, like a union of groups and then they will fight for collective bargaining for your workplaces your wages will go up and all along people will be listening to zero credits and this is the introduction of the ZCWW the zero credits workers of the world uh, unionize your workplaces and we will feature you on the podcast and from all the workers here at Zero Credit Studios, we want to wish you a happy work week. Goodbye. Bye. One more joke. We usually do a like, joke at the end. We do a joke at the end? Well, it, it usually ends in a funny way. Oh, like a goof. Like a gaff. Like a gaff. Like this.
That was fun. That. We didn't even get to talk about the grape. We didn't. We talked about how much we hate capitalism for a long time.